Hello, friends, and welcome to There's No People Like Show People, the podcast that connects and reconnects the theater community, inspires hope, and strives to help people not feel so alone. I am your host, Sarah Philobom. Time to start living, time to take a little from this world we're given. Time to take time, cause spring will turn to fall in just no time at all. Hello friends, and welcome to year three of There's No People Like Show People. I am absolutely blown away by your continued support. Thank you so much for following us on Instagram, giving the podcast a five-star rating, or just leaving a quick little written review. If you get the chance today, stop on by our official podcast merchandise store at www.there'snopeoplelikeshowpeople.itemorder.com. Each purchase really helps us out. And we have some very exciting news. Look for our brand new podcast called Transformation, the Untold Stories of Motherhood, debuting November 1st. Thank you so much for listening and supporting the global theater community. Remember, friends, the art of honest storytelling connects us all. And no matter what you may be going through right now, you are not alone. Good morning, friends. It's early, and you all know how I feel about mornings. I am not a morning person, but I just ate half of a cinnamon roll and I went to the coffee shop. I've got a lot of coffee, I've got my water, and I'm so happy to be sitting here with an old friend. It's been such a long time. Um, And I'm just like, I'm super excited to share her story with you, share her journey. She's working on so many great things, she's done so many things in this business. Um, She is as a director, a producer, an acting coach, a former casting director, and talent representative. Friends, she's got some words of wisdom, some great insight. I know you are just going to love this episode. So welcome to the podcast, Jamie Anderson. Yay! (laughs) So happy to be here with you, Philly. Yeah! It's been a lot. You know, I was thinking, okay, so actually, this, (laughs) here's, okay, so that was introduction part one. Introduction part two is that we did a whole summer of shows together up at the Rocky Mountain, oh my God, RMRT, Rocky Mountain Repertory Theater. I was about to say the Rocky Mountain National Park, which, and I was like, that's not the name of the theater. (laughs) That's where the theater was. Um, And so we did Les Mis, we did, what else did we do? Shrek, and we did Hands on a Hard Body, and she played Princess Fiona, And friends, I personally played the best role in the show, which was the Princess Fiona Ogre double. So when she had her transformation, I got to come out in this beautiful green ogre costume with a tiara. (laughs) So fierce. It was it was perfect. The best body double there ever was. Yes, thank you. Thank you. And I think that there's like that one scene where the ogre kind of has like, it's almost like you're doing like mime while you're doing the voiceover, but I'm like pretending to be you in the ogre costume. <laughs> like it's, it's something else, <laughs> something else. I think that was one of my favorite scenes because I got to be off stage and just watch you do the physicality. <laughs> yeah. 
be the voice as if I was like an animated character. It was, it was too much fun. Uh, yeah. And I'm pretty sure it's like a scene with like, um, when she turns into the ogre and then with donkey. And so, so I, you're right. I'm doing like all of like the big physical actions. Cause I'm like far upstage behind a scrim and I'm, ha- I'm doing this scene with donkey, but I'm not speaking. It's, it's, it's very, it's, it's, it's an interesting experience. Seriously though. And actually I have reconnected with Michael Martin, who was our donkey mm-hmm. very recently here in Chicago. Um, and funny enough, we actually went back to uh, Grand Lake in 2020 um, and performed some together. Travis Taylor, who was our Shrek, myself yep. and Michael Martin, which was such a blast to reunite after six years. Like what? How? I know. It's eight years now. Like it's- that's insane. It's been a long time. Yeah. And Michael Martin and I, we did Elf together at the Little Theater on the Square in 2019. And that was actually the last show that I performed in. Wow. So it's been, yeah, because everything since then has been, you know, like pandemic and mom and uh, moving and teaching and directing and choreographing. So I like it's I'm like really, really missing performing right now. I bet. I bet. I don't. (laughs) (laughs) But I understand people who do. (laughs) Yeah. You know, like, like, well, and after like having done so many shows back to back to back to back, I really wanted a break. Like I was feeling kind of, it was like 10 years of doing like 800 musicals. And I'm like, I'm tired. I'm like, I was like, I want to do, I want to do other things. Um, but I think I'm at a point now where like, I would love to perform in like one show a year, like something that I really, really want to do. I feel really passionately about it. It's a role I've always wanted to play. Like that's kind of my, where I'm at level of performing wise right now. Totally understood. I plan to come out of retirement in my fifties to play all of my dream roles, AKA like Mama Rose and Joanne and company and like all of the bitter broads because <laughs> that's who I am now. <laughs> She's an old bitter broad. <laughs> Smoking my imaginary cigarette. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Oh, okay. Would you be so kind to tell our listeners where did you grow up and like how did you first get into theater and what's the first show that you did? Yeah, uh, it's been a long journey. I am originally from Chesterfield, Missouri, or uh, Misery, as I like to often refer to it. Um, It's just outside of the St. Louis area. Um, So thriving theater scene, actually. And my parents put me in The Wizard of Oz at age three. I was a munchkin and a poppy, the littlest one. So I don't remember actually ever making the decision myself to do this crazy thing that we do. (laughs) Um, And my sister was actually the the entertainer of the family. And I was very much an introvert is everything that I've been told. I was very quiet and mild mannered. Um, But my mom asked the director if they took them as young as me. And they were like, can she sing happy birthday? And I did it without being afraid. So they stuck me in it. And then I 
think that I really stuck around because I found my group of weirdos and empaths and community in a way uh, that became kind of addicting. Um, Mm -hmm. So I found myself throughout my theatrical journey, um, which I'm constantly reinventing myself, I've found um, for various reasons. I've had some health problems that took me out of the performance game. and so it's it's been it's been a fascinating 30 years now at this point, um, which is weird to say at the ripe age of 33. Um, but but yeah, it's it's a uh, it's something I, I can't quite get away from no matter how hard I try. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. What do you, like what do you think are some things that you have really struggled with when it comes to this career? Who <laughs> where <laughs> to start? <laughs> um I mean being a woman in leadership or perceived power or actual power positions is really really hard. Um that shift I think was the most heartbreaking for me because I, my relationship with my actor friends changed um, and not in a way that I feel like I consented to oftentimes. Um, And so it was really hard to see those relationships shift, figure out, okay, who are my friends now? Because this was my community that I spent 21 years of my life building. Um, And so it's gotten lonely um, directing, I think, is one of the loneliest positions to be in, and uh, it's tested my mental health, but I'm also, I know that based on my prior experience, it's where my skill set lends itself the best. Um, I, I've had the pleasure of working with some really incredible directors throughout my life, and some really, really terrible ones, um, and I think the terrible ones are what have motivated me to stick around mm-hmm. um, and to pursue this thing. Um, so yeah, I would I would say in general, it's kind of the balancing act of of navigating the peaks and valleys of it all, and and how to take care of your mental health um, throughout all of the journey of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I I was in grad school actually for directing at uh, Indiana University, plugging that for you right there. Uh, I also went there for musical theater um, back in the day, graduated in 2012. Um, But while I was in grad school, started in the fall of 2019. And so then of course the pandemic hit um, unexpectedly, of course. And everything really shifted. And I, all of the expectations I had for my time in grad school, suddenly um, I only got one in-person performance out of my whole time there versus I was supposed to have many, many, many. Um, And so that was a big disappointment, of course. And it was also, it tested me so much. Um, My mental health really suffered. I had two mental breakdowns while in grad school. Um, And that really woke me up to the point where I now take my mental health so deeply seriously in a way that I know that I cannot 
be anything to anybody unless I put that first and myself first at the end of the day. Um, so I've learned a lot. Yeah, for sure. Um, we were just talking a little bit about therapy right before we started recording this episode. I have a new therapist and so like, I've only been three times and it's, of course it's all over. They're not doing in person right now. So it's all over like zoom or telehealth. Um, but she's really great because she's kind of like therapist, but she's also part life coach too. So every week she gives me, I, I think sometimes I get really depressed because I get so caught up in things that happened in the past <clears throat> and like past trauma and things that I'm still healing from and recovering from. And so she doesn't let me get like so stuck in that where she's like, okay, like now how can we move forward? Like, how can we look forward in, in you know, like, what do you want to work on? What are some positive steps that we can take to move forward? And each week she gives me homework and I love, I love school. I love being in class. I love, so I love the homework. I'm like, oh, I'm here for it. But they all feel like very like she doesn't give me two. She doesn't give me like, you know, I get overwhelmed. Cause I'm like, I have to be perfect and I have to change this and I have to work on this and I have, and I'm so behind. And then I get, and then I don't do anything. So I'm so overwhelmed. But every week she gives me like one thing, one achievable thing <laughs> to work on. I'm like, Oh, I can do that. I can do that. Oh yes. The recovering perfectionist journey. It's so real. <laughs> it's never ending. Truly though. Yeah. Th I mean, therapy has saved my life. Um, yeah. I, while in grad school, I don't know why I made this kind of sadistic choice, but I, uh, did EMDR therapy for a full year, which is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. It's basically like reliving all of your trauma in order to process it fully. Um, and I was able to complete 16 targets, which was like a huge accomplishment, um, but it nearly broke me also at the yeah. same time. So I, I really appreciate what you just shared about what your therapist is doing for you and with, uh, with the work that you're doing together. Um, because I think it's so easy at times to get trapped in victim mentality. Mm -hmm. Um, and I know that's kind of like a scary word to say or identify with, but I, I found the more that I have identified with my mental health illnesses, my diagnoses, um, the more of a victim I feel like I am to them. And the more I can frame it as these are symptoms I experience. That's not my identity. It's not who I am. Yeah. I can move through it and I can move forward. Um, so yeah, thanks yeah. for sharing that. Yeah. Of course. of course. Well, I just think actually, so we were in year three of this podcast. Uh, um, thank you so much. Uh, I, I just, I love doing it so much. It, it's, it's like fun to me. Like it's a lot of work, but it never feels like work. It just feels like having uh, like real honest conversations and sort of, um, catching up with old friends and trying to help other struggling artists out there in the world who maybe like, like, I know someone out there today is going to be like, man, I really needed to hear this specific conversation today for whatever reason. <clears throat> and I learned something new every week from it. But one of, so new questions, um, a listener wanted to know about how do you, how do you do balance? Like, how do you do work-life balance and how do you prioritize your mental health? If you ever figure out how to do a work-life balance, Philly, you let me know. 
Uh, <laughs> I still have not. <laughs> Mental health, I'm getting better at. Uh, boundaries around work-life balance, I'm still a work in progress in that. And I'm going to be fully honest there. Um, I... I'm the type of person that never expects somebody else to drop everything and like respond to my emails, but I hold myself to that weird standard. Um, I, you know, also like to work through the night oftentimes because when I'm feeling inspired, I often am woken up in the middle of the night. And so that's when I get a lot of my work done. Um, so yeah, work, work life balance, we're still working on. Um, as far as mental health goes, though, um, I've realized over the last few months in particular how directly tied my mental health is to my physical health. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm, I'm really prioritizing finding the forms of physical movement that bring me joy. Um, and right now that's actually running and, and learning to gain endurance um, as well as some strength training to kind of remind myself how strong I am. I'm not out like trying to get like cut or anything like I used to when I was an actor because that got unhealthy for me at a, a certain point. Um, as I'm sure you can relate in varying ways, all of us musical theater ladies in particular, I think really go through it. Uh, I'm thinking back to doing a chorus line back in 2013 and all of the sobbing that happened when we put on our costumes for the first time because we all were so insecure, even though like looking back at the photos, it's like about what? (laughs) You're beautiful exactly as you are, stop. Um, so yeah, for, for me, it's really just about taking care of me. And sometimes that's also just getting more curious about what the new thing of the day is. That's going to bring me an ounce of joy. Um, also focusing on gratitude. Uh, I'm a huge, huge, huge champion of meditation as well. That's uh, been a life-saving device for me. Um, Shout out to Ziva Meditation, who actually is a a Broadway veteran, uh, Emily Fletcher, who created this technique after studying under a bunch of Indian dudes for 10 years. (laughs) Um, Like she literally hung out with monks (laughs) in like the Himalayan mountains um, and has come up with a meditation technique that serves high performers, people like you and I, who, who really want to like hack our lives and function at our best, but also navigate a lot of stress because the day-to-day stress is just never going to go away. Um, so for me, it's about becoming like a partner with my stress levels, Mm -hmm. um, and getting more and more curious about how, how do we, um, how do we work with this, not against it? Because I, for a long time, I would just shove it down, pretend it like it wasn't there. Mm-hmm. And that caused me to burn out so many times and burnout is not useful for anybody. Um, and it's actually a traumatic event. <laughs> so it takes a long time to recover from burnout. Yeah. Um, so don't do it to yourself, kids. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. L- life is a is a marathon. It's it's not a sprint. So you have to pace yourself. Yeah. You have to. Yes, I feel like I get very easily overwhelmed because I want to do all the things all the time, and I have to 
um, really tr- like be patient with my, I'm not very good at patience. Actually, now it's so funny. Now that I say all these things, um, because you have talked a lot about like certain things that have been like, this is the hardest thing that you've ever done in your life. And for me, like by far the hardest thing that I have ever done in my life is being a mom. That's the heart. Like that is at the pinnacle of like, that is the top of Mount Everest right there. It is the hardest thing you pile up those 200 musicals. I'm like, that's a walk in the park. (laughs) That's easy compared to being a mom and then being a single mom for a while um it, that yeah hard <laughs> get on out of here like you are a star amongst all of the stars you deserve all of the awards <laughs> thank you thank you i really appreciate that because you know um yeah and that's why like i'm starting my second podcast all about motherhood because i just want to talk to other moms and maybe i just i think motherhood can be an incredibly lonely journey and you feel like whatever you're going through, you just feel so alone. And so I'm trying to really bring people together to, to bring more like community and connection and share stories and just to, I don't know, maybe give you something to listen to in in your 15 minutes, you know, of, of your like being alone time. And you just, just take a deep breath and be like, Oh, thank God. I thought I was the only one. Like, going through that or yeah I mean there's just many days where you're like I don't know how I'm gonna get through the day (laughs) like I don't know how I'm gonna get through this tantrum or potty training or sleep regression or um allergies or you know it's like and most of the time I just felt like I was failing I'm like I'm just failing at this but um it's only been recently after three and a half years that I'm like oh you know what I don't feel like such a failure anymore. <laughs> oh, good. Because you're not, you're doing so good. <laughs> but seriously, like, I, I'm so happy that you're creating that for people. Um, I personally have not been gifted the joy of motherhood yet. That is uh, a hope for my future down the line, but I... I also know I'm I'm probably going to be uh, a little bit older in terms of my pursuit of motherhood by the time that that comes around. Um, but I'm an aunt to how many at this point? Oh my gosh, uh, my siblings have so many kids. So there's like eight at least of them, maybe maybe ten. Um, and I adore them. And I I've seen both my sisters go through really challenging journeys with motherhood. Yeah. Um, and I have a lot of respect for, particularly for working moms like you and who are pursuing the arts, Mm -hmm. which my sister also is, she's a a singer, um, and a voice teacher. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's amazing what you're doing. Um, and the fact that you have two podcasts, like get out of here. Uh, because clearly one just wasn't enough. <laughs> we need, we need to have two. <laughs> We're gluttons for punishment, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I know. Okay. All right. Before we get too far off track, uh, you lived in New York for a very long time, which that's a huge, I think I made it in New York for one year and I was like, okay, I'm done. I'm, I'm good. I've, I've been to the New York auditions. I've I've, you know, paid the very expensive rent. I'm like, 
I think I'm good to move on to other places in in the country. But you were there for how long? Eight years. Eight uh, years. And technically, my name is still on a lease with my ex. <laughs> so I'm like, can I call myself a New Yorker since my name is still on a lease? Of course. It's been Ten years, if that's the case. <laughs> Uh, would you like, I don't know, talk just a little bit about your experiences in the city? Yeah, yeah. Uh, moved there as an actor post-undergraduate. Actually, um, my very first summer at Rocky Mountain Rep was uh, 2012, which I booked straight out of undergrad. I played Reno Sweeney in Anything Goes, which was precious. So Shout out to uh, Michael, Jeff, and Clark, who really thought I could tap dance, but really I just faked my way through all of it, and Philly can attest to it, because she's such a fierce tap dancer, and I was so bad. (laughs) My sounds were terrible. (laughs) But that was my journey post-undergrad, moved straight to New York, was really fortunate to be signed by a talent agency out of my showcase. Um, so moved with big dreams like Millie Delmount, uh, and was crushed by my first year as an actor, uh, ended up developing some health problems as I alluded to earlier, including really terrible acid reflux, which I didn't fully know that that's what was going on because mm-hmm. I didn't have, it was silent. Um, and so I got a vocal polyp, uh, in 2013, which is really traumatic um, when your identity is kind of like wrapped up around the way that your voice feels yeah. and like how it, it it sounds in your head too. Um, and suddenly I had air between my, my cords that wasn't there before. Um, and it, it was hard. And I had a lot of shame because I didn't want to tell anybody because I felt like it was my fault. Um, And so I never sought treatment. Don't do that. Anybody listening, get the treatment and don't just give up. Like I, I I felt like I had no other choice at that point. Um, And so I was auditioning still but of course was very limited in what I was able to do. than what I was previously. Uh, So I went back to Rocky Mountain Rep for the 2013 season. Luckily, all of my solos topped out at like a C above middle C. So I got away with like having some stuff going on. And I also played Sheila and a chorus line and Smitty and how to succeed. So the like air kind of helped me in a certain way. But then after that summer, I ended up getting a toxicity disorder because of um, the IUD that I had at the time was leaking silicone in my bloodstream. And so for the summer of 2014, I don't know if you remember this, Philly, but I, when I was playing Princess Fiona uh, and and Cindy Barnes and and hands on a hard body, I was dealing with the most bizarre symptoms ever. Um, Peripheral neuropathy. Sometimes I had hard time standing. 
um, without being an immense pain. Um, and so I was doing like cleanses that whole summer, also still recovering vocally, but having to sing like higher soprano than what I had been doing for a little while. Mm -hmm. And it felt terrible. Um, and there was one show that I tried to call out of, but we didn't have that kind of system in place, um, at that point. And so I had to go on and it was one of the most like demoralizing performances ever. I remember I like acted my face off because I felt like that was the only thing I had at that point. Mm -hmm. Um, but that was the last role I ever played. And a lot of it was because I, I just felt so damaged at that point. Um, and so I moved back to New York city after that summer with the goal of hopefully getting my equity card, because that was my big dream as it it used to be for, for many of us before, um, you could buy into the union is I'm glad we have open access now, um, for the people who want that for themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, that was a goal of mine. I got really close to that happening right after I moved back that summer in like a theater works children's show. So it wasn't even like it was, my dream, it was just serving that purpose. Um, and I decided when that didn't go through that I wanted to work on both pursuing acting and directing for the first time fully. Um, hilariously, Michael Casera, who's a casting director in New York City, him and I met back my senior year of undergrad at IU in which he saw a production of a new brain that I directed. He happened to be visiting, um, during our final dress rehearsal and also saw me perform and gave me feedback that afternoon in our master class. but he was really struck by the choices that I made as a director. Um, and so when I moved back to New York city in January of 2015, Michael reached out to me to catch up. And so we, I went to his office and I thought we were just like reconnecting after two years since I had last seen him. Um, and he ended up giving me a job interview and offering me a job, (laughs) um, which is not how casting jobs work. Um, just to let people know that, uh, I got really, really lucky and, I'm kind of the type that when the universe presents me things, I know there's something up and I get curious and I kind of follow the path. So I dropped my talent agents (laughs) that day, said yes, uh, started working on, he gave me two projects to cast on my own right away. And I was like, this is also strange. Um, Hilariously, the very first one, uh, the producer did not actually have the rights to the show, but we did 200 plus hours of work on it, uh, got through the full casting process, and I had to call all the actors and say it wasn't happening. Oh, no. And many of them were people who I had developed relationships over a long period of time, and I felt like the biggest asshole in the whole world. Um, so the heartbreak doesn't really stop no matter what side of the table you're on. It, it comes in, in all of the ways. 
Um, so yeah, that was, that was kind of the journey into casting. I did that for two and a half years with Michael worked my way up to being his associate. And then he called me a casting director by the end of it all. Um, he's still my best buddy. I love him. Seriously. Greatest man ever, um, in the business. He's, he's doing awesome things. Um, and then, he also allowed me to take leaves quite a bit to pursue directing um, whenever we were, we were kind of dark. So he actually connected me with some a director who needed an assistant. Um, and I found out that I was going to be the assistant to James Lapine. <laughs> really casual. Very casual. <laughs> Super casual. <laughs> so I went over to James Lapine's apartment several days a week for many months uh, to work on this concert uh, in which I didn't Mandel and Kristen Chenoweth and all these people were a part of. And here I am, like, I think I was 26 at the time, just like geeking out and pretending to be like so cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I also like, I, I was really fortunate under Michael to, cross paths with a lot of heavyweights like that. Um, and so I also cast um, a immersive house party musical that some people might be aware of called The Bad Years by Kerrigan Laddermilk. Mm -hmm. um, it's a fierce show, but I was the associate director on that under Stephen Brackett, who has recently had his Broadway debut as a director, finally, after years and years of of being a star um, as the director of Be More Chill and uh, The Lightning Thief, the Percy Jackson musical. Mm -hmm. um, and he's been over in the West End putting up Be More Chill too. Uh, so that experience was wild. We had, I wanna say there were like a hundred songs in a two hour show and most of them happen all at the same time in different rooms. And so the audience is like traversing this, warehouse in Brooklyn in which we built like a house to look yeah. like it was in the suburbs. Uh -huh. It was really strange, but really awesome to be a part of. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, those, that, that was kind of the beginning of that journey. But then I realized I don't really have a lot of business sense, but that was important to me, especially because I eventually thought like, ah, I want to teach theater at a college someday. And so I decided to check out working in talent representation. I don't know why. Um, it, it, I, I was struggling at the time and I needed health insurance. I think that's the reason why. And they were offering. And so I was like, okay, let's try this new thing for a little while. And it had nothing to do with wanting to leave casting or anything like that. I just needed a change of pace. Um, it was brutal working in that environment. I, I can't say, um, so I, I loved working with the actors. I loved my clients. I loved being able to work on behalf of my clients. Um, but a lot of the other personalities in this industry can be really challenging to navigate, mm -hmm. uh, especially when you're getting into like general managers and company managers and, you know, everybody comes at it with a different motive. Mm 
um, and a different set of priorities. And this business uh, is very personal as much as it is a business also. So people get very emotional alongside their business tactics. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was, it was tough, but I'm really glad I put two full years in. Um, I negotiated a, uh, several contracts for Broadway national tours. So I got kind of that experience. Um, the first client I ever signed through this agent under myself, uh, or agency uh, through myself, um, is the current Aladdin on Broadway. Um, so going to pat myself on the back a little bit. (laughs) I I didn't really think I knew what I was doing in that, but, um, I ended up being better at it than I thought I would be. Mm -hmm. Um, can't say I want to go back to it, but I can say that I use a lot of the lessons that I learned over those two years, uh, to coach actors, um, and to, to help them kind of shape their career, not just in terms of their technique, but kind of the, the whole suite of what does it mean to live as an actor on yeah. a day-to-day basis? Um, so that was a, a whole, whole lot of word salad about the journey in New York. Uh, <laughs> then after that, I went to grad school for three years and then now I'm in Chicago. Yes. And okay. So how, when did you, you, how long have you been in Chicago for? Uh, since August 1st, 2022. Okay. And what it is. Oh yeah. Oh, so recently, very, very, very recent. I'm like, what year is it? I'm like trying to remember. I'm like, oh, this isn't like, you know, a few months ago, like not that long ago. Yeah. Not long ago at all. Um, it's awesome. I, I was so nervous. I thought being a a former New York favorite, like favoring human, that uh, I would hate it here. And every time I visited, I did kind of hate it, to be honest. Um, Now that I'm here, it's exactly where I'm supposed to be and I don't see myself moving. Great. Yes, and you have some very exciting things coming up. Would you like to, I'm very excited about it. Yeah, I'm so pumped. Um, I was recently asked to associate direct the Paramount Theater in Aurora, Illinois' production of The Sound of Music this fall. Um, We start previews uh, November 7th, I want to believe is the date, but we officially open on November 18th and run through January 15th. I know that. And Amber Mack is directing and choreographing. And funny enough, we actually met in 2013 at Rocky Mountain Rep when she was the choreographer of How to Succeed. Mm -hmm. We only spent all of 10 days together, uh, but her and I really hit it off and um, developed a relationship that way. Mm -hmm. And we've stayed in touch on social, like very loosely. I can't say that we've like had any intimate interaction since then, but she has been tracking, you know, my journey and, and saw that I completed my MFA and then I moved here. Mm-hmm. I reached out to her to ask if I could take her out for a drink to catch up. And her response was, do you want to be my associate director? <laughs> what an excellent response. 
And I'm sure you were like, um, absolutely. Yes, I do. <laughs> exactly. I was like, let, let me clear my schedule. I'll talk to my, my temp agency and get back to you. Yeah. <laughs> well, and see, you know, again, like you just, you just never know. I feel like as an artist, the artist journey, it's never a linear path. It's so, there's so many twists and turns and you really, you have no idea where you're going to end up or what you're going to be doing or in every year it could look completely different and you could be doing, um, you know, you could start out as an actor and then you move into a casting director and a talent agent and then you go to grad school for something else. And, you know, like, it's just, I just think that sometimes we can get so like tunnel vision or like one track mind. And you're like, I have to be doing this, or I'm only happy when I'm doing this, or I'm only successful if I'm doing this, this one thing. And that's just not true. That's not true. I think we need to challenge ourselves to sort of take off those blinders and to be like, oh, look, here's like 50 other opportunities or 50 other possibilities. Or I think sometimes if, if you always had that thought in the back of your mind, you're like, oh, I've really wanted to try this, or I think I might be good at this, or here's a job opportunity. Like, I just try it out. You know, you might hate it. You might love it. Exactly. Dropping some truth bombs today. <laughs> Do you, do you have any advice? Cause I know you do your, you direct, you do coaching, you teach acting classes. Like, do you have any advice for maybe like str young struggling actors out there right now? Whew. Yeah. A lot of it. Um, I, I love what you mentioned about success. And I think it's really important to, as a young performer in particular, to figure out what your own definition of success is mm -hmm. and chase it with abandon as much as you can. Uh, and don't get bogged down in what I think the definition of success is or what you think the definition of success is or what anybody else thinks the definition of success is because to me, it's deeply subjective. If I cared about what my parents' definition of success was, I would be in the fetal position all of the time because they really had dreams of me being a performer. And that's just not where life led me. Mm -hmm. And that's deeply okay with me at this point. Um, and it, it is finally with them, but it took a long time for us to get there. They still don't really understand what I do. It's really kind of funny when they come to see a show that I directed. Um, I'm also, I mean, you can probably tell by my personality at this point, but I, I like kind of like confrontational, harder hitting material. Uh, my thesis production was the three penny opera by Brecht and Vile. Um, and so you know, they just don't really understand my perspective now as an artist, but that doesn't take away my own artistry at the end of the day. I have to constantly set my own bar and check in with that with myself um, and stop playing the comparison game. It's, it's not useful. You are your own competition at the end of the day. Every artist is. Um, and so, you know, it, it's just, it's really important to be 
clear with yourself as to what your goals are and to, to stay on your own path. And then also just know that no one is getting rich or famous from doing theater. So you got to be sure that you're doing it for the love and the joy of it, or else it won't ever be sustainable. Um, and you're going to have to work really, really hard. Um, no matter what, uh, it it's, it's, I've seen, especially, uh, since the pandemic that theater artists, um, are really wanting it, it to be easier, but it, it never was easy. Mm-hmm. So it's just, it's a balancing act of figuring out like, how, do, how do we do better than we did before? Um, but also recognize that it, it just takes hard work to get it done. Yeah. And, and the work is really never done. It's not, you're like, you're like, Oh yes. Great. Booked that job, you know, booked that show. Well, guess what? In two months, the show's going to close. So <laughs> what's next? You know what I mean? Like what? Yeah, exactly. The, the work is never done. Um, I think if you sort of have that growth mindset that you can, you can always learn something new, you can always grow as a person, you can always, um, yeah, just keep moving forward and how can you do better and, and be better and sort of that sort of perspective of it, because yeah, it's, it's a shit ton of hard work. Seriously though. It, yeah. And, and have a good support system and preferably some of which that do theater and some that have no idea what theater even is. Um, balance is, is key. And I'm not always good at that as we've already discussed, but <laughs> I'm getting better at calling in my support system finally. Uh, and, and I highly recommend that for anybody who's struggling. Why, like, why do you think that you have been doing this as long as you have been like, what's what at the core of your being, what's your why? (sighs) Yeah, this one's hard. Um, I have an addicted personality. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. (laughs) <laughs> Me too. I mean, I'm sure that's a, a layer of the truth. Yeah. Um, but uh, especially as a director now, I'm constantly interrogating my why over and over again. Uh, I think that's kind of the sole artistic objective of a director in some ways is, is to zero in on the why and to make sure that we're constantly focusing on the why. Mm-hmm. Um, something that really resonated with me from my research in grad school was Anne Bogart's um, texts in general, but something that she mentions a lot of um, as a woman director is the fact that we always have to work in survival mode, no matter what, mm. but you can't act like you're in survival mode because that's not sustainable. You have to come at the process with the idea of gift giving. And so there's a certain generosity um, to the creation of art making that I think we all have to kind of come at it with. Um, I love to create an experience for people There's a reason why we love the Aristotelian catharsis. We love to give people space for 
the full range of emotions to experience that and to share that space with others and to bring people together in community. Um, so I would say those are kind of like my main tenants in an overarching way, but I'm constantly reinterrogating why am I the one who's directing this piece? Um, what are we trying to say with it in this moment? And how do I best serve the process yeah. um, for, for everyone involved from mm -hmm. actors to technicians, to designers, um, to the production staff, you know, we're all a team and it's all a collaborative art. And that's what I think I love most about it is the art of true collaboration. Um, but that's also really, really tough to do. So yeah, constantly reevaluating the, the why at the end of the day. Yes. Love that. It's a constant, um, collaboration and a constant reevaluation. Absolutely. Yep. Poet, you didn't even know it. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I always end with asking, like, do you have a favorite theater memory or story that you would like to leave our listeners with today? I feel like this is too niche, not to mention since we've been talking about Rocky Mountain Rep so much. Mm -hmm. So I have many, of course, because who doesn't? as a, a theater artist. Um, but I think my favorite was, of course, this How to Succeed production back in 2013. Um, <laughs> there was a bowling alley next door to the theater. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you remember. Yes. Somehow their AC unit broke down and there was some sort of chemical. I can't remember what it is these days, but there was some sort of chemical that suddenly was leaking into the theater space. <laughs> and we were in the middle of our performance and we we're suddenly all getting very deeply lightheaded. And if you remember RMRT, we also have to do all of the scenic changes because we don't have a running crew. And this particular production had like a million panels that we would move like two inches to indicate a new setting. And so we're all just like dancing and trying to remember where things go. And it was actually terrible because we're all like high without <laughs> consenting to being high. And so at, we're running outside as much as humanly possible in between anytime we're not on stage. And so at intermission, everyone is outside. Everybody who works backstage, all of the actors, truly anybody who can be outside is outside in this moment. <laughs> Suddenly, uh, a big old bear comes strolling down the alley. <laughs> I was waiting for something. It was either going to be a bear or a moose. Exactly. And so we all had to go back into the gas area. <laughs> this weird leak <laughs> in order to stay safe from the bear. So it was like, pick your poison. <laughs> Which way do you want to uh, make theater happen tonight and hopefully get through the evening? Um, so as they say, the show must go on when you work in the non-union theater. 
Exactly. Up in the mountains with the wildlife. <laughs> I'm sure. And since you were doing how to succeed, I'm sure you all were like, well, it's been a long, been a long, been a long, been a long day. <laughs> and good night. Seriously. It's a near three hour show also. Mm-hmm. That's like almost entirely Finch too. Mm-hmm. So poor Sean Pack. Um, shout out to Sean Pack. Um, FSP, my boy. Um, yeah, I don't know how he did it because it, it was wild. I was grateful we got to be outside. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Wow. Crazy. The good old, the good old Rocky Mountain Repertory Theater days. They, so, so many good memories. Um, so many great shows. I was there for the summer of 2014 and then the summer of 2015. I would love to go back. I mean, it is honestly one of the most beautiful places on earth. It's stunning, gorgeous. So if you ever find yourself up in the mountains, you know, check them out. Uh, Jamie, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to chat with me today. Uh, It's so wonderful to see your face. I'm just, I'm so proud of you. You, you've accomplished so much. You're such an inspiration. And I mean, like, again, like, like your resume, you've done like 8 million different things and you've lived in New York, you've lived in Chicago, you, you got your graduate degree. Um, you're getting ready to associate direct this uh, and get again, front the Paramount beautiful shows, like go check them out. If you are in the Illinois area, I've seen a couple shows at the Paramount. I actually, I performed at the Paramount on the national tour of a Christmas Carol. Of course you did <laughs> back in the day. Long long this was like probably 10 12 years ago at this point but um yeah so it's it's a great historic theater in aurora illinois so go check out the sound of music coming up yay thank you so much sarah this was such a joy and i'm i mean right back at you i'm so proud of you thank you Thank you. And friends, um, check out my new podcast that debuts November 1st. It's called Transformation, the untold stories of motherhood. It's not just for moms. It is also for partners, um, caregivers, anyone who has ever thought or questioned, do I want to be a mom? Do I not want to be a mom? It's, It's really for everyone. So check it on out. Coming at you November 1st. Thank you so much. We'll see you back next week. Bye.